thank you and praise you for this camp and this new week. Make us new, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have an absolutely wonderful theme for this year, and it is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind and with all thy strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. It couldn't be better. And yet, you know, it's one of the mysteries of life that sometimes loving is very hard indeed. And so this morning, I want to share something with you that if you grasp the two great spiritual realities that the Apostle Paul grasped, then you're going to discover something wonderful. You're going to be able to walk the Lord in the Spirit without struggling and striving. You're going to be able to rest and you'll be aware of his transforming power within you. So that's the promise as we begin this morning. And I want you to listen carefully, very carefully, to these words that the Apostle Paul wrote when he had grasped these two realities. It's from Ephesians, and it's the first 14 verses of chapter 1. And if you were in church yesterday, you probably even heard them yesterday as well. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of the grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even in Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit 
guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now that's a lot, and I'm sure you stop listening after the second sentence. However, there is something that you might want to do when you think about this later on today. And that is, do you realize that every verb in those first 14 verses of Ephesians 1 is in the past tense? Every verb is in the past tense. And that's very important. Because you see, once you understand what Paul is writing here, you understand that it's all done. It's all finished. It's all complete. And it's all for you. And when you come to that understanding, then you can rest in these words that this is true indeed for you. Now, a number of years ago, when I was serving at St. Columbus in Inverness, uh, I had a problem. And my problem was I either had money or time, but I didn't have the two of them together. <laughs> maybe some of you understand that too. And maybe some of you have a hobby that requires both money and time. My interest at the time was in flying. And I finally was able to amass the amount of money I needed to take flying lessons. And one particular day, I was to do something that was very important in flying. I was to go by myself, and I was to fly under the hood. What that means is you were to have no visual references whatsoever. And they pull a hood down over your head so all you can see is the instrument panel in front of you. And I thought to myself, as I was sitting at the end of the runway, ready to thrust in the throttle and to start just racing down the end of that runway, I thought, this is not one thing you want to cheat on, Schofield. <laughs> now, because if you do, there will come a time when you're up there in the clouds and you don't have any visual references, and if you don't know how to do this, It'll be really rugged then, so you better not cheat. So I had worked it out all very carefully at the planning room before I filed my flight report, and I had worked out exactly what the strength and the speed of the winds were. I knew the directions that I would be going in, and I knew the speed of my little Cherokee 140, which could go almost 80 miles an hour, <laughs> and I knew what it would take to do the course that had been mapped out for me. I was to fly out of Ganoss Field, and then I was to bank to the right and fly over Lake Berryessa. And when I got to Lake Berryessa, I was then to bank to the left, to the north, and to the west somewhat, and I was to land my plane at Sonoma, Sonoma County Airport, Get, take out my logbook, have it stamped, 
have it timed, get back in, and fly to my third point, which was to come back to Ganass Field next to Highway 101 in Marin County. So I did. I had everything set up. My palms were sweaty, my mouth was dry, I thrust in the throttle, and that little plane began to shake all over, and suddenly we were off uh, to the end of the runway, and I was up, and I was watching my instrument panel, I was watching my clock ever so carefully, and I said, by my calculations now, given the wind, given the speed, I should be over Lake Berryessa, so I will now bank to the left which I did, and I followed my instrument panel very carefully and my clock on the instrument panel, and then I thought, aha, by my calculations, I should be here at Sonoma County Airport, and I pulled off my hood, and I looked around, and I thought, hello, where's the airport? And so, in my very cool, and sophisticated way, I got onto the radio system with the tower, the Unicom system in my little plane, and I said, help! <laughs> they said, identify yourself. I said, I'm David Schofield. They said, no, no, your plane. What is the number of your plane? <laughs> and I told them, then they said, what is the color of your plane? I told them, red and white. And they said, waggle your wings. I thought, I thought I had problems. The guy in the control tower has problems. So I waggled my wings. They said, now what is your problem? I said, I've been flying under the hood and I'm trying to find Sonoma County Airport. They said, then take a very big dip with your plane and look immediately below you. I had calculated so perfectly that I was right there. But because I was flying a low-winged aircraft, I couldn't see what was directly below me, and I didn't know that I was there. And you see, spiritually, that's where a lot of people are. They're there, but they don't know it. They have absolutely no idea that they are there. You see, with God, he has been working with us even before we were born. We were chosen before the beginning of creation. He already had the plan for you. And indeed, he has done everything that is necessary for your soul's salvation. And he's done it out of love. And yet, we don't know it. And yet, how is it possible uh, for us uh, to uh, indeed get into this reality, lay a hold on this reality, unless you know it. So I'm going to ask you to do something that I've asked literally hundreds of people to do before, and maybe you were one of those people, and if you are, no fair cheating. <laughs> and that is, I want you to take out an imaginary paint set. 
not as nice as Jonathan's paint sets, but it will be a fairly nice paint set and a blank piece of paper, all right? Now I want you to paint a great, big, steep, grassy slope, a hill. Paint it green, a vibrant green. Paint the sky blue. Have you got your hill? Have you got your blue sky? Now on the top of that hill, I want you to paint a castle. And you know from singing the song here at camp that when the king is in residence, the flag is flying. So on one of the turrets of the castle, put a flag there. Okay, that means the king, the lord, is in the castle. Now your picture is almost complete except for one thing. I want you to put a stick figure in there, and that stick figure is you. I want you to paint where you are in that picture. Can you see where you are? If you're like a lot of people, you've painted yourself somewhere on that grassy green slope, struggling to get up. But the truth is, you are inside the castle already with the king. That is the spiritual thing that Paul wants you to grasp this morning. You're already there. And so many people spend so much energy and so much time struggling and striving to get into the castle, and they don't know that they're there. And so it's wasted energy and time. It's all God put you in that castle. And we're going to tell you how he did it in just a few moments, but he did. But the reason most people can't receive that truth is because they don't see themselves as lovable. They can imagine anybody else as lovable, but not them. They can see everybody else is better than they are really deep down in their hearts. So how can God possibly love me? Well, Jesus knew that we would have that struggle, and so he told one of his most famous stories of all. It was the story of the two brothers. The one brother who said to his father, the younger brother, Give me my inheritance. I want it now. As far as I'm concerned, you're dead. I don't care about you. I don't even want to wait for your will. Give me my inheritance now. And he went off. And then, skipping to the part of the story where Jesus says, the younger brother came to himself, and he said to himself, why, even my father's hired hands have a better life than I'm having, so I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to say to my father, Father, I have sinned before heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Hire me back as a son. 
having made up his speech and made up his mind, he decided to go back, and then there comes that wonderful moment in the story. You remember it because you remember that the father is sitting on the ranch house porch, and he's scanning the horizon as he's done every day since his son left. And when he sees a figure way on the horizon, and when that figure gets close enough that he recognizes the special kind of gait or walk of his younger son, he is so excited. And if I were making the story up, why, it would be blasphemy. But you see, Jesus was telling the story, so it's not blasphemy, it's truth. And it's really about God the Father. And God the Father is so excited that he waits for his son to come? No. He hitches up his skirts and he starts running across that field. And when he gets up to his son, his son starts the speech. Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but... And then at that moment, the father throws his arms around the son and hugs the son and kisses the son and then interrupts everything the son is saying and he says, quick, Get a new robe and put it on him. Put new sandals on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. Get the wine flowing. Get the musicians. We're going to have a party. This, my son who was dead, is now alive. And so it all happens. Now, we know that there's the older brother. He's not a very pleasant character. He was the faithful one. He was the one who never went away. And he hears the music coming from the ranch house. And as he is getting close to the ranch house, he asks one of the other hands, what's going on? And they say, your brother's come back and your father's throwing a party for him. And in the midst of all that party with all the rejoicing and all the music and all the wine flowing and people are having a wonderful time, the father begins to feel the vibes coming from the older brother, and they come right through the walls of that house. You know what I'm talking about. In our family, my mother used to say at Christmas or Thanksgiving, why, why can't we be like other families? Why is there always an emotional explosion in the middle of something that's supposed to be beautiful for us? Why is someone always going to a bedroom and slamming the door and saying, I'm never going to take another bite as long as I eat, as live, I'm going to starve myself to death? Slam, slam, slam. By the way, I discovered that we were like most other families. <laughs> but there's the older brother. And dad could feel those vibes as he was coming closer and closer to the house. So before he gets into the party, dad leaves the party and meets his son out on the, on the porch of the ranch house. And he says, Dad, I don't understand it. I have been faithful to you. I've been loyal to you. I've worked hard for you. And you've never so much as given me a kid, but this, your son, he doesn't call him my brother, your son has wasted his living with harlots. We don't know that, but his brother imagined it. And 
he says, why are you throwing this party for him? I don't understand it. And then the father says something to him. He says, son, this your brother was dead and is now alive. But everything I have is yours. And that's where the story ends. And we also know it's a tragic story because we know that the older brother never heard that. He couldn't hear it. The younger brother had a secret that the older brother didn't have. The younger brother knew when he was with his prepared speech saying, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, that when dad started to speak, he knew to shut up. And not only shut up, but listen. And in doing that, he then allowed his father to be a father to him and do for him what only a father can do. He released his father to do for him what he was able to do. And that was to surround him with love and restore him to the family and bring him back to life. But the older brother didn't listen. And all he did was to protest at how loyal he had been and how hard he had worked. The younger brother knew how to allow his father to be a father to him. The older brother only knew how to make an employer out of his father. That he was working his way toward love. A love he already had, but he didn't know it. You see, that's where so many are. You already have the love. You already have everything. But if you don't know it, then you can't rejoice in it and participate in it. So how do we get there? How do we lay hold on this love? How do we appropriate it? And the answer is, even that's done for you. It's done in baptism. Now, some of you were brought kicking and screaming as little squally, smelly brats into the church. And there you were in your long white lace gown, and you were ripped out of your parents' arms by some strange man, and he poured water all over your head, and you screamed your head off. And what you couldn't have known was that at that moment, you were being drowned. The old life was drowned. And the life that came after that was the resurrection life of Jesus. And you were part of Jesus Christ. And you were an inheritor of everything that belongs to Jesus. Eternal life, purity of life, and a member of the family. And it's interesting, isn't it, 
that you were in a white gown. In the early days of the church, what they made you do was go down to the river, <clears throat> take all your clothes off, they'd lower you under the water and bring you up, and then they'd put the white gown on you. And did you notice this morning that we saw two of those white baptismal gowns? Father David and Deacon Gregory were wearing them. We call them albs, albino, alb, white. And they are the baptismal gown. It's only because they are baptized that they're part of anything. And everything comes out of baptism, you see. And so it is that when you come through that water of baptism, then everything is yours. Everything is yours. Think for a moment about those cute little babies. I'm probably the only one in this room who, when I look at a baby, thinks they look like Winston Churchill. <laughs> but when a baby is born, a baby comes forth full-blown, complete. I can still hear my mother saying, Oh, look at the little tiny fingers. Oh, look at the little tiny fingernail. Look at the little tiny toes. No, you don't have to wait until your second year before you get your toes. You come with them. They're part of the equipment. It's full-blown. It's there. It simply has to grow. And so it is in the realm of the Spirit. When you've come through the waters of baptism, you are part of Jesus, and all his love is there, and all his resurrection life is there, and all his perfection is there. And that's true of you. Now, the reason most of us are so unaware of that is because we haven't seen ourselves in that light. We haven't looked at ourselves in that light. And so I want to show you how to do that. I must have been about five years old at the time, and I remember that there was, and I heard it read this morning at Mass, which was sort of interesting, there was a truck from Filene's department store in Boston that drove up in front of our house. My mother and my sister were home, and they saw that truck and the man get out of the truck, and he had a great big oblong cardboard box. And the man came to the front door and rang the doorbell, and my sister had the door open real fast, and she took the box from him, and my mother signed for it, and then the box was taken into the dining room, and then they put the box on the dining room table, and I remember how gently my sister opened the lid of this and then pulled back the tissue paper ever so carefully, and it revealed her first formal gown. And she just stood there and admired it, and then she pulled it out ever so slowly and held it up and looked at it lengthwise. Then she turned it around and saw the back, and then she put the back up against 
her front, and she looked down at herself as if this is what it's going to look like when I'm wearing it. And then before anybody could say anything, she folded it up in her arms, and she ran upstairs uh, to her bedroom, and she put the gown on. And then we heard my sister running to my parents' bedroom, where they had a long mirror, and she got in front of the long mirror and a hand mirror off my parents' bureau, and there she was standing, looking at herself all the way around like that so she could see what she looked like in her formal gown. When was the last time you inspected your album? When did you look at your baptismal gown? You know what it is? It's what Paul writes when he says, put on Christ. By that he meant you put on that baptismal gown. And now that the Lord Jesus Christ is the gown that covers your whole life. And now it's the truth about who you are. And you need to look at yourself. How? Well, what's it like? recognizing you're now wearing eternal life. That you are pure. That you are holy. St. Augustine said way back in the fourth century, didn't he? If you say you are not holy, you are ungrateful. Because he recognized, you're not the one that makes yourself holy. It's God who made you holy. And all he asks is that you be thankful, grateful. So it's not as if onto our alb we pin on a few medals for holiness and punctuality and honesty. No, the alb has everything in it. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes full-blown with everything that he is. And you need to look at yourself that way and understand that this is reality. This is truth. But when so many of us look at ourselves, what we find is we find the debris and the garbage and all the other stuff. And so we imagine that we are not holy and we also imagine that we're not lovable. And so there's something else that comes into play. And it's wonderful. And that is that same love that brought forth the perfect life of his son in you is that same power of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, as you had made your confession and then you received the precious blood of Jesus that swept over your soul, you were made sparkling clean. Weak 
by week by week, as we feed upon and are nourished by the body and blood of Jesus, we are strengthened, we are matured, and we are cleansed, and we are healed, and the true image of what God was doing all along from the day of your baptism and even before that day when he dreamed you up from all eternity is now being revealed. There isn't a single time that you receive Holy Communion when all the debris isn't washed away in that red tide of the blood of Jesus. And you come out sparkling, clean, and new. And the only tragedy is that you go to church on Sunday and you receive Holy Communion because your pew went up and then you come back and you wish that it were over pretty fast and then you go to coffee hour and you hope that your friend or your, mo your mother or your father or your brother or your wife or whoever it is won't talk too long because then you want to get home and have lunch and then you want to watch TV because your favorite team is playing. And it doesn't dawn on you the eternal work that was just accomplished so simply, gently, effortlessly, and you were restored and made new. But because you didn't know it, you went on behaving as if you weren't new, and you just added another layer of dust and garbage. And when you looked at it, you were convinced that nothing had changed and you were still the same. And what was all this religion business about anyway? But the moment, the moment that you realize what God has done for you, that it is perfect, it is complete, and it is yours, and you are incorporated into all of it, then you walk out with your head held high, your heart beating practically out of your chest, and the joy of transformation continues on in you. No struggle. No strain, it's there for you to receive. And because he knew this, that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this. Having understood that now, listen to the past tense. Listen to what he says and know that this is meant for you because God loves you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in echo, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, here it comes, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. It's already happened. With every spiritual blessing in Christ, 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have it already. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished, past tense, on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. And in him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Amen.